Good morning, church. Uh, delight to be with you, and Happy New Year again. Um, just a real privilege to be here and draw close to God with you. Uh, if you have your Bible, uh, if we're going to use them this morning like we always do, and there's some gathered around you, hopefully you'll be able to grab one. Um, I grew up in an extended family that loved to play games. Don't know what games you guys have played. We love to play like card games, like Brook, and table games, like Monopoly, and Pet, and Sorry, and um, so I had that kind of wiring, and the first time that I ever went to Asia, I went to Hong Kong, and I was walking around the neighborhood with some friends of mine, and I heard these loud noises of gatherings of people, and they were like slapping down these tiles and picking them up, and I was trying to kind of figure out what was going on, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You'll walk the streets, and they're playing mahjong. Now, every great game has got rules and strategy, and so I'm trying to figure out what the object is of this game. But I knew that there was some, and you know, there was always a, a shout at the end, and people had won the hand or whatever, and I'm trying to figure out, because not only is it just about the madness and the fun and strategy involved, there's an object to this madness. And it's, it's the end game, which apparently the Cincinnati Bengals forgot about yes, last, yesterday, so, but... There's an end game, and that's to win at the end, right? That's, that's the object of what we're about. God has, as we heard about last week, this end game for us. Something for us to know that we are victorious at the end of the day. And actually, winning's great. Brings a lot of joy and excitement to our life. And he's designed us in such a way that we're to win. And we're to experience victory Last week, Pastor Nate introduced us to the end game that God has designed for us, and he put it in this way. It's to glorify God by bringing salvation to his people. The Westminster Catechism puts it this way. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, lest you think those statements are uniquely different, I want to invite you to think a little bit deeper today about it. That we were made by God to find great joy in our life as we fulfill this mission God has invested us with. And that mission, according to Matthew chapter 28, is to go into all the world and to make, yeah, good, make disciples or followers of Jesus out from every ethnos, every people group. Now, you can imagine when those First century, small group of disciples first heard this. It was intimidating and like stretching, and there's impossible to think about how they could possibly do that. And sometimes that's still the feeling that we experience, isn't it? That this is intimidating. How could I possibly influence the world for Christ? And yet that's the mission for every follower of Jesus. It's your personal mission that God wants you to take great delight in and joy in, not to be intimidated by or or to, to shrink from, but actually to boldly go where God is calling you to go. So there's a huge amount of books and resources to help you understand about discipleship. And this, this year we're going to help you with that. But I want to encourage you, if you want to do some study on your own, to hop onto Right Now Media. It's a website that we um, allow you free access in. The church pays for it for you. And if you don't know how to do that or how to get on there, just go to our own church website and there's a little button that says Right Now Media. We can sign you in and you can get all those great resources. But I want you to consider this morning just maybe a first step about what does it mean to be a person of great influence this year. 
And again, I really love how Pastor Nate last week talked about it. It made it really simple for us, which is good. For me, simple is good. It means first that I'm to be influenced by Christ. And then as I'm influenced, to be an influencer. And next week, we're going to talk about the specific people in our lives that we're influencers of. But this week, I want you to consider this. That to be influenced by Jesus in order to be an influence means that there's a first step. That I first have to be influenced profoundly, deeply, actively by Jesus. One of my favorite things to do growing up was um, to go with my dad to the dump. And um, that might seem like pretty odd to you, pretty strange thing. A a kid wouldn't want to go to the dump. But for us, we would take our trash, we would throw it in the back of our Chevy pickup, and we would go down this road, and then um, a couple miles before the dump, Dad would pull over the pickup truck, and I would get to drive. Like as a little kid, that was like huge, right? And we had this soul truck. Now, this is not going to make any sense to many of you, but we had what's called a three on the tree, which is the transmission, and it would shift on this little shifter right by you know the steering wheel, and you'd have to push in the clutch. So as a little kid, I'd be like stretching with it. I couldn't see over the, you know, I couldn't see, but I was shifting it. It was the greatest thing. I would love to do that. And it made the dump totally worth going to. <clears throat> and then, you know, Dad, of course, had an agenda, not only to teach me how to drive, but to take me to the dump and get me to work, right? So we would unload the truck. But I thought it was the greatest thing. The thing about going to the dump, though, is that when you return, you smell like the dump. And if you haven't experienced that aroma recently, um, it's something that stays with you for a bit, right? We would come home smelling like the smells of the landfill. If you remember um, this great passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, there's an encouragement for us to smell a certain way as followers of Jesus. God actually has a plan. Now, some of you, you, you put on maybe body wash or whatever or perfume or aftershave today so you would smell a certain way and people around you wouldn't get offended. But as believers, as followers of Jesus, God has a design for us to have to walk around with an attractive aroma. I thought, wow, wouldn't it be a great idea if we stuck like that perfume like right in the bulletin? But I was informed by our staff that that would probably be offensive to some people. So we didn't do that. But we've got a way for you to smell. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 says, starting verse 14, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. He has an agenda for us in Jesus and a relationship with him to actually be victors. And in our victory, as we walk with him, as we experience joy and celebration and victory in our lives, he wants us to smell a certain way, it says in the text. And through us, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So the picture is, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, that people smell on us the aroma of Christ and what it looks like to actually know Jesus. And they're attracted to that. Does that characterize who you are and how you're living your life and how people are influenced by you today? For we are the aroma of Christ, it says in verse 15, to God among those who are being saved, that is, 
people around us who are still in the process of trying to understand who God is and how to know him and have life in him. And among those who are perishing, those, who, those people who don't have life, who are dead right now spiritually, separated from God because of their sin. And they have no chance of life. We are to be the aroma, the smell of God, which smells a lot better than the dump, right? To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance of life, to life. So we are designed, says in scripture, to have the aroma of Christ, to be the attractive smell of Jesus to people around us because they need relationship with God. That they would pick up the scent of God on us. So how do they do that? How do people smell Christ on us? Well, I love the word picture because it helps us, it informs us about what needs to happen. So if you did put on perfume today, in a few hours, what's going to happen to that smell? Hopefully it's going to fade a little bit, right? That's how smells happen. If you walk in like for us to the dump, though I wouldn't smell like the dump three or four days later, hopefully after taking a shower or whatever. But smells fade. And in the same way, in our spiritual journey, in our life with God, it's really significant for us to understand that what happened in the past for me is significant. It's important in my relationship with God. But a lot of us are not influencing people around us because the aroma of Christ is so faint Because it's been a long time since we've been in the presence of Jesus. It's been a long time since we've been influenced by him. So they just don't smell Jesus on us. We don't have the aroma of Christ because we're living in the past. And and you know what I'm talking about, those of you who have followed Jesus for a season in your life. That it's an ever-present danger to live life today on the laurels of our spiritual past. I need a fresh scent of Jesus on me. And last week, if you had joined us, and if you haven't, you can listen to the Pastor Nate's message online. But last week, Pastor Nate framed it with just a really simple roadmap, that there are some significant things in our life that need to be in place so that I smell like Christ, so I have the aroma of Christ, and I can check that. And there are things in my life that need to be continuing to blossom, to grow in me. And simply this, that I need to be about knowing and trusting and loving and following Jesus. That's not rocket science. I don't have to be an employee of Lawrence Livermore to figure this out, right? It's pretty simple and pretty direct in my life that those elements need to be growing inside of me. The knowledge of God, the trust, really, of, of Jesus, the love that I have for him and my growing capacity and willingness to follow. So let's start with the first one. What does it look like for us to be influenced by Jesus with really a growing knowledge of him? What does it look like to know? Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24 says this. This is what the Lord says. I catch this. This is really strong. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and knows me. 
don't boast about all the achievements, about the new promotion or the thing you did at school or the new home or car, whatever possession. Boast about this. That today, you know God better than you did yesterday. That today you understand him and his motives and his desires for your life. Not just the information piece, but you actually know him better. What if at the end of this coming year, the greatest accomplishment that you had in your life was not that you had a nicer home or a better car or that you graduated with a degree or that you got a promotion at work. What if the greatest accomplishment that you had was that you knew God better? Would you be satisfied with that? Do you think God would be delighted in that or not? Like any healthy relationship, if you're to know God, it requires some very simple, basic stuff, right? Time and conversation. I'm just going to be simple about it. It just requires time and conversation. So uh, Sue and I were on the couch watching TV yesterday, and she says to me, hey, I think we probably need to go on a date. And I, being the, of course, ever-sensitive, you know, in-tune husband, say to her, you know, we went on one of those four years ago. I didn't. And by the way, I didn't say that. Because if you knew Sue, you would know that I would never do that. I would get smacked up. No, she's not abusive. But yeah, so I know better than that to say something like that. It's, that's stupid relationally, right, to go there. And every relationship needs, what she's asking for is time and conversation, right? That's what she's requesting of me. So guys, what do you say? Yes, honey, of course, Yeah. So you, you, you need to set that date. And for the Christian, time and conversation requires some very basic things. It requires time in the Word, right? If you, if you don't have this practice in your life, let me encourage you. Get online, get a Through the Bible reading plan for yourself this year. It's not too late to start. And start spending time in God's Word so you can hear His voice. And if you don't want to go like commit a year, you can just start this week spending time in the Word. Right? Get in the gospel. Start there. Start with Matthew or one of the gospels and just start spending time reading his word. And start praying outside of meals. <laughs> really, start having conversations with God. And not just a list, but just like any relationship, start listening to him. And there needs to be plenty of saying. Yes, my love. Yes. When God starts asking things of you, if it's a healthy relationship, you say, yes. I get the reasons why all the demands of life come up and knowing God isn't a priority for us sometimes. But I want you to consider the words of uh, an author who I really appreciate. His name is J.I. Packer. In a classic work that he wrote called Knowing God, he says this. Knowing God is critically important for the living of our lives. Is it? As it would be cruel to an Amazonian tribesman to fly him into London and put him down without explanation in Trafalgar Square and leave him as one who knew nothing of English or England to fend for himself, 
So we are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing God, whose world it is, and who runs it. The world becomes a strange, mad, painful place, and life in it a disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know God. Disregard the knowledge of God, and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfold, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way, you can waste your life and lose your soul. That's profound, isn't it? And it it points us to this powerful motive for why it's so significant that we know God. Simply put, your life and the life of those God wants to influence through you depend on you knowing him better today and tomorrow. Before you figure out how to use your new phone that you got for Christmas or electronic device, whatever kind, before you commit to the next class in your education or getting all that information that your boss wants you to get and have squared away, the highest priority that God has for you is to know him better, to understand him and to know him as a highest priority. And when we're influenced by the knowledge of God, others will smell the aroma of Christ on us. John Piper in Desiring God has said, to enjoy him, we must know him. You can't fully delight in God that you don't know. Seeing, that is, seeing God for who he is, he's saying, is savoring. If he remains, God remains a blurry, vague fog. We may be intrigued for a season, but we will not be stunned with joy as when the fog clears and you find yourself on the brink of some vast precipice. This day and tomorrow, know the Lord. Spend time and conversation with him. And there's a second element. It's about our trusting. Have you ever asked yourself, why um, Jesus did the things he did. When you're reading through the Gospels, his, the account of his life, why he did the things with the guys he was spending time with, the men and women that he spent time with, the first disciples. Why, why did Jesus do those things that he taught and the adventures that they went on, the crazy miracles? Why was he doing what he was doing? I think there's a central thing that he was after in those disciples, and that was trust for them to learn how to fully rely and lean into God. Why? Because as the author of Hebrews says, it's impossible to please God without it. And without faith, without a full leaning in and trust, it's impossible to please God. Not faith or trust that's static or there was a one-time event way back in our past. It's the middle of the lifetime of adventures he has me on right now. Think again how he developed that trust and he developed it over time. And as you read through the Gospels, there's a critical point where he calls the question. It happens in John chapter 14, where he actually says, and some of you might have heard this text in different contexts, especially maybe in a memorial service where, where we're reminded of heaven. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. This whole thing that we've been about, this is about trust. Now, in my father's 
house, he says. There are many, in the uh, King James Version, mansions, great places God is designing for you, for eternity. But right now, then he turns the question, it's about trust. And they respond, well, we don't know where you're going, what you're doing. We have all these questions. We're not sure about what that means for us. And that's where Jesus says, I am, what? The way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. And he continues that conversation about trust. And at the end of it, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes or trusts in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do. What? Like, greater works than what God has been doing to Jesus had done. They'd seen him do firsthand. Greater than those things? Yes. Because I am going to the Father, Jesus says. And I'm going to leave you with the impossible task of influencing people around you for the sake of the kingdom. Making disciples of every ethnos, that grand scheme and plan of God for your life. I'm going to give that to you and you cannot accomplish it except with the power of God at work in your life unleashed by his spirit influencing other people as you've been influenced with Jesus. That's, that's the point of what he's driving at, this great trust in him. So in our church, we try to help you take these baby steps of trust. So that's why we do the service things that we do. We serve God in a lot of different ways around here and encourage you to take steps forward to trust him. That's why we do small groups to encourage you to be in community so that you would not just learn information, but put it in place and take greater steps of trust in him. And I know it. That's not safe sometimes, and it's not comfortable sometimes, but the point is that we grow in our trust with God greater today and tomorrow than we did in our past. For some of you, that means that this year needs to be a greater trust in the Lord and putting yourself in situations where you're learning to trust him in a deeper, stronger way. Maybe it means that you want to, next week, Just attend a meeting to see what it would look like for you to go across culture and serve orphans in Mexico with us. It's a great trip. We we love grabbing people and doing Mexico. And that might, for some of you, feel like that's way over the top. I can't do something like that. But I'm promising you that we haven't left one person in Mexico over the last, you know, many years we've gone down there. We haven't lost anybody. Everyone's come back. And those people who have come back would tell you that that's been significant and the way that they trust Jesus. Maybe it means that you say, you know what, I'm going to trust the Lord and serve him here locally. I'm going to work with the children's ministry or the youth ministry. I'm going to take an active step in some way to say, God, I, want to, I don't want to just sit on the laurels of my past, and I don't want to just be comfortable. I want to actually trust you and grow in my trust so that I might be an influence for others, so that I might learn how to have a bold, how to have a bold and robust faith. Stasi Eldridge asks, Can we trust our lives, our futures, and the lives of those we love to God? Can we? Can we trust a God we can't control? Oh, that really gets at it, doesn't it? Can we trust this God whose take on life and death and suffering and joy is so very different from our own? Yes. Yes, we can trust because we know him and we know he's good. You can't trust him. And not only trust him, but you can commit to love him better. 
When my um, wife and I, Sue, we first started dating, I had issues. <laughs> I still do, I know. <laughs> I know you're going to say that. But I had a lot of trust issues. It was difficult for me. I had my, my heart crushed once, and, and I had all kinds of trust issues. So I, like an idiot, like kept breaking up with her because I was afraid of committing. And my dear wife was patient with me and faithful to me, even in the midst of all those issues. In an even deeper, more profound way, God is faithful to you and calling you out to be more vulnerable and more trusting in your love for him, to be more committed in the way that you express your love for him. And our growing trust, it stretches us. Our growing love for him, that gets at us understanding his great affection for us, as crazy as that notion is, and then responding in love in response to him. And there are all kinds of obstacles to that for us, really. I think one of the greatest obstacles in my love for God is this Peter principle, this Peter syndrome, right? Um, Peter, follower of Jesus, who would quickly express his love for God verbally more than the other disciples did, was the one that just blew it royally, right? Just denied in the critical moment of life and ministry. He betrays Jesus multiple times. And in that wonderfully redemptive portion of Scripture in John chapter 21, Jesus starts calling him back and restoring him. It's after Christ had died and risen again. And he was with his disciples. And he's having that conversation with Peter. And he says, Peter, what does he ask him? Do you love me? He doesn't say it once, does he? Keeps saying it three times. Peter, do you really love me? That story is my story. That story, I believe, is your story of God's redemptive call in your life to love him and his repetitive forgiveness for you and calling you out to love him. At the end of that really wonderful exchange between Peter and Jesus, a broken person reminded of the steadfast love of God and called back, Jesus said, okay, then follow me. If that's true, follow me. But before we get to that point, I just want to examine how your love life is for God. So I thought I would give a quiz for you, and, and uh, you can just think about this. This is to spur you on your love for God. And I thought, what, um, what strong theological source could I go to for a love quiz for people? And so I went to Seventeen Magazine. Didn't find anything helpful there. So I went to other kind of sources. I couldn't find it. So, um, so Natalie and Nate and I came up with a quiz for you this morning just to check your temperature on how you're doing in your love life for God. And hopefully this will be a help for you and an inspiration to take a step forward, not to beat yourself over the head with, but just to know where you're at and where you need to grow. So you ready? Pop quiz here this morning. It's okay. Don't. Don't get freaked out here. Just, uh, just one question at a time. And there's only seven questions. Isn't that good? Here's the first question. How often do you think of Jesus during the day? 24-7? Fairly often? Rarely? Or who? Okay. Now, bake on that just for a second. How often do you think of Jesus? This is a test, a quiz to help prompt you to think about your love for him. Next question, 
How often do you actively seek to hear his voice? A, as much as I can. B, usually once a day. C, rarely. D, you mean like I'm hearing voices? How is it that you're hearing the voice of God actively? And what are you doing to prompt that for yourself? Third question. See, it's not that painful, is it? How often do you talk to God? A, throughout the day. B, at most meals. C, only when I really need something. Or D, I don't think he would want to hear what I have to say. What is it for you? Question four. Do people at work or school know you love God? Ooh, that's a challenging question, huh? A, yes, it's pretty obvious. B, some of the other Christians know. And C, why would I let them know? Next question. Whose opinion do you care about the most? A, God's opinion really matters to me. B, my boss. C, my significant other. D, I don't give a rip what others think. <laughs> Two more questions. When, you, when your mind wanders, when your mind wanders, how often do you dream of heaven? How often do you dream of heaven? A, most every day. B, most Sundays when the sermon gets long. I know, I know. C, rarely. And D, I'm not sure my idea of heaven would be appropriate to think of in church. Last question, how hard is it to keep God out of your conversations with others? A, it's impossible. I just can't help myself. B, difficult when the people I care about, with the people I care about. C, I rarely talk about God. And D, I never talk to others about spiritual or religious stuff. So how are you doing? Loving the Lord. And if we love the Lord, then we're called to follow him. See, the influence of Jesus in our lives, it, it leads us to a richer and to a quicker embrace of his leadership. We seek his leadership more in the things that really truly matter to us, like our family and our home and our place of work, the decisions, the key decisions that we're making. We're looking for his leadership and our family relationships. I love the story of the disciple Thomas. I don't know how well you know the story of his life, but several times Thomas speaks out. And there's at the end of the gospel in, in the book of John, there's that the moment where Thomas gets tagged with an unfortunate nickname, right? Doubting Thomas. Because when all the other disciples were there and they saw the living, risen Jesus in the flesh, he wasn't there. And because he wasn't there and he had his skeptical mind and outset, he doubted it. He didn't believe what the rest of the disciples said. And he said, you know what, unless I really sink my hand into his side and and see the nail scars, I'm not going to believe because I need proof of that. And the next week, Jesus appears and there's Thomas, humbled. And Jesus says to him, I know you need evidence. Come here. And in that moment, when Thomas sees Jesus, he gets the evidence firsthand, and he says this great confession, my Lord and my God. 
And Jesus responds to him, you believe because you've seen it firsthand. Blessed are those who have not seen firsthand, but believe, but put their trust and follow me. Now, the amazing second chapter of what happens to Thomas is that church tradition tells us that he was the guy who went farther with his faith to proclaim his faith than any other person, that he ends up in India professing his faith and most likely to China as well, that he was, he was the guy who was most sold out after being the great skeptic, the great doubter, and because he, he had seen the evidence and been convinced of the risen Jesus. And so he gave his life to this, and he followed whatever Jesus asked him and wherever Jesus asked him to go. I really appreciate J.I. Packer's perspective on this point where he says, the leadership of, he's talking about the leadership of God in our life and following him, and he says, guidance, God's guidance, like all of God's acts of blessing under the covenant of grace, is a sovereign act. It's God working inside of me to follow him. It's not something that I'm doing that I take credit for. Not merely does God, uh, not merely does God's will to guide us in the sense of showing us the way that we may tread it, he wills also to guide us in the more fundamental sense of ensuring that whatever happens, whatever mistakes we make, we shall come safely home. Slippings and strings there will be, no doubt, but the everlasting arms are beneath us. We shall be caught and rescued and restored. This is God's promise. This is how good he is. This is how good he is that whatever we do when we follow him, he has us. The end game of our faith is to bring glory to God by bringing salvation to his people, to the people that God has placed into our lives. And we can only accomplish that when we're strongly and powerfully influenced by Jesus, when we're in his presence and we're learning to know him, and when we're putting ourselves in places where we actually trust him in real life, in a deeper way today and tomorrow than we did yesterday, and where we come to be more vulnerable and understand his love and love him back, and where we take steps, even when it's difficult, to follow him. So right now, I just want to pray God's work in your life this new year, that you would be influenced by Jesus and smell like him, that you would have the aroma of Christ so that people would sense life and know it. Let me pray for you, if I might, please. Father, uh, thank you that you would want to be known, that you would want us to draw near to you, and that you would draw near to us. And I pray, Father, for your glory and for the sake of the people around us you're calling us to influence, that we would be, as a church and as individual people, deeply and profoundly influenced by you, by your presence and your activity in our life, more so today than we were yesterday, and in a greater way tomorrow. For your name's sake and your glory, we pray these things. And all God's people said, amen.
Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.